Scripture. Let's pray together. Father, it is the best day ever. Uh, Lord, we celebrate not only the payment that you made to save us from our sin, we celebrate your life and the life that we have because you live. Lord, we ask in humility before the great I am that you would teach us this morning. Lord, we pray that you would renew our minds with the beauty of the truth of this day. Take us deep into the importance of the resurrection. Ground our faith and help us understand what we have and who we have as believers. God, I ask for your help as I preach. I just pray that you'd fill me and use me. May this just be a beautiful time in the holy word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The resurrection story is a legend that grew up among the early followers of Jesus. Not the rationalization of facts about an empty tomb. Indeed, we have no reason to believe that any such empty tomb ever existed. The historical records are far too murky for that. Chris Hallquist, atheist. It all quite really comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. It has a fundamental incompatibility with the sophisticated scientists. It's so petty, it's so trivial, it's so local, it's so earthbound, it's so unworthy of the universe. Richard Dawkins, evolutionary biologist. The life of Jesus begins in a dirty manger and ends on a bloody cross. Soren Kierkegaard, existential philosopher. Well, if those things are true, why in the world are you here today? And why have countless millions and millions and millions of Christians over the last 2,000 years gathered to celebrate this day? Let me tell you why. Because our Lord's life didn't end on a bloody cross. That's why. It didn't end on a bloody cross. He conquered death and he rose victorious over the grave. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. But what if he didn't rise? What if he's still in that tomb? His bones, his body. What if the skeptics and the atheists and the doubters are right? Would it make any difference and what difference would it make? Does the resurrection really matter? Is it really necessary? I mean, we have the cross. Do we really need the empty tomb. Why is the resurrection so important to you as a believer in Jesus Christ and to me as a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to learn that this morning and we're going to clear up some confusion. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we will dig into one of the most beautiful and important passages on the doctrine of the resurrection. And I want you to dig deep in your faith this morning. And uh, we're going to chew on some meat. We're going to chew on some honey ham this morning. So I want you to put away the chocolate and the Easter peeps. And and let's dig into the word of God. And and let's seek to clear up some confusion. I want you to understand, as a young Christian, I miss the significance of the resurrection. As a young believer, I I didn't really grasp the importance of, of the resurrection and the difference this doctrine makes in our life. And honestly, there's probably some of us here this morning that are confused as well. Well, we know Jesus died for our sins, so wasn't that enough to satisfy God? Why why is the resurrection 
so important. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul will help clear things up. And he will teach us how vital the resurrection is to our faith. And the Apostle Paul, he knew something about the resurrection. He met the resurrected Savior. And it radically changed his life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. By the way, if you, you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the back tables. And feel free to get up and, and grab one of those or look over the shoulder of someone. 1 Corinthians 15, though, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. First thing I want you to take note of is this. If there is no resurrection, there never was a resurrection. Say it with me. If there is no resurrection, there never was a resurrection. You may say, what? I don't get that, Pastor Scott. Well, verse 13 and verse 16 basically say the same thing. Verse 13, there's no resurrection, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 16, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. In other words, listen carefully. Christ's past resurrection and your future resurrection are inextricably linked to one another. Understand, you cannot get away from it. There is not one without the other. As goes the Savior, so go his followers. If he didn't rise, you will not rise. I want you to understand, Jesus is the first from the grave. You may say, well, others were risen from the Look at Lazarus. Others rose, but eventually died again. Jesus rose never to die again. He is the first to rise, never to decay again. Others were raised, but not with glorified bodies. Psalm 16.10 prophesied, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that's the grave, the place of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. He never decayed. He is the first from the grave. He is not only the first from the grave to never decay, he is the firstborn of the dead. Colossians 1.18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He is the first of many more to be born up out of the grave. He is also the first fruits of those asleep. This passage in 1 Corinthians we're in will continue in verse 20. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam we all die, and Christ will all be made alive, each in his own order. Each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits after those who are Christ at his coming. So Jesus is the firstfruits of the resurrection. That means he is the first of a multitude and multitude and multitude of resurrected bodies to follow. Now, you may say, well, what's this firstfruits mean? Firstfruits is an Old Testament agricultural farming term, Okay. The Israelites would harvest crops. They'd bring the first sample to the priests, offering to the Lord. It's found in Leviticus 23.10. When you enter the land, I'm going to give to you, and you reap its harvest, and you'll bring in the sheaf of the first fruits. You bring those to the priest. 
He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. So in other words, I want you to understand the first fruits preceded the main harvest when the Israelites went into the land. It was the first installment of a larger, bigger harvest to come. That's what it meant. I want you to understand Jesus is the first installment. He's the first installment of a wave, a mass amount of resurrected believers to rise from the dead one day. That's who your Savior is. He was waved before God the Father on the Sabbath that Sunday, or our, our Sunday. He's the first fruit of this huge crop to come. I want you to think of, as far as your eyes can see, a field of wheat. I want you to understand, that's what's coming. The resurrection of God's people through the ages is coming. He was the first fruits of all that are to follow. The resurrected crop of God's redeemed this incredible bumper crop. Your resurrection is tied to the first fruits. The Lord Jesus' resurrection. And he was waved before the Father and accepted by the Father, representing you and me and our bodies that will one day die and rot in the grave, that will be resurrected in glory. He is the first fruits of all that is to come. The resurrection matters, friends. It matters. He's first from the grave, never to decay. He's first born from the bed. He's dead from the bed, <laughs> like some of you. He's first for fruit of those who are asleep. The resurrection matters. And understand this, Jesus' bodily resurrection foreshadows your bodily resurrection. I want to point you to a passage that I use at every single graveside service I've ever preached. And honestly, if given the privilege to officiate your funeral and your graveside service, I will use the same. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, later in the passage in verse 35. Someone will say, well, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? God's answer, you fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. That which you sow does not, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives us a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. There's not much honor about putting somebody in the ground. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, verse 49, we also will bear the image of the heavenly. So you know what God does? He says, I want to talk to you about your garden that you're going to plant this coming spring. And you will take seeds and you will plant seeds in the ground. Those seeds are dead. There's no life in those seeds. But a little, little warmth and nutrients and water and sun. And all of a sudden, those seeds spring to life. He's saying, I want you to understand what your body is going to be like. When you die and you pass, you who are believers in Jesus, you will be planted in the ground like a seed. And one day, your body is going to spring forth to life when God calls us from the ground. One day we will receive resurrected bodies. 2 Corinthians 5, 1. 
We know that this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house, he says, he says our house is like a tent. We groan in this house, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, have been not been, have, will, have, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. See, see, what we have as a tent is what we have. It's not comfortable sleeping in a tent, is it? I mean, you wake up and you're kind of tight and stiff and you're, oh, it's just, you know, it's just, it's not real comfortable. You know what? We groan in our tents. And the older we get, the more we groan. All of a sudden, we got hurts, and we never knew we had hurts. I mean, we, 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 what is going on with our bodies? Can I tell you what's going on with our bodies? You're dying, and I'm dying. It's called the curse of sin. It's called death. And so these tents are going to be taken down one day completely. But you know what God says? You're going to have a home in heaven. You're going to have a resurrected body someday. And by the way, what will our bodies be like? 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will what? We'll be like Jesus, his resurrected body. Because we will see him just as he is, and everyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Fix your hope on the resurrected Christ. Well, if there, never, if there is no resurrection, there never was a resurrection. If there is no resurrection... Shut up and sit down. You may say, what do you mean by that? Well, repeat this after me. Ready? Say it with me nice and loud. Next, next slide, please. Here we go. Here we go. Pastor Scott, shut up and sit down. Say it nice and loud now. You ready? Pastor Scott, shut up and sit down. Some of you have been waiting a long time to say that. You've been waiting years to say that. If there's no resurrection, i got nothing to say. There, there's nothing. That's why he says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in what? It's in vain. So hypothetically speaking, let's go there. Let's just consider it for a moment that, that Jesus' body is still in a tomb in Jerusalem. 2,000 years it's been sitting in that tomb. My preaching is in vain. It means what I say is worthless, it's useless, it's futile. It's just a big waste of my time and my energy and, and my effort. This is just a big waste of time if Jesus didn't uh, rise from the dead. I want you to understand that. Uh, a dead Savior makes for a dead message. There's no life, there, there's no hope, there's no gospel. And, and by the way, that's how 1 Corinthians 15 starts off, the message of the gospel. The resurrection is a huge part of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preach to you. And gospel means good news. And some of you here this morning need to hear about the good news of God's love for you, that God will forgive you, that God will save you. The gospel which I preach to you, which you receive, by which you stand, by which you're saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you of a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised in the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and he appeared to more than 500 and he appeared to James and he appeared to me also. The resurrection is a huge part of the gospel message. 
He appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he rose again. By the way, we can't be saved without believing in a living God. Jesus never rose. There's not much of a message. And Kierkegaard was right. Life of Jesus ended on a bloody cross. End of story. If he never rose. By the way, not only was Kierkegaard right, but my grandma was right. When I told her I was going into the ministry 20 years ago, she looked right at me and this is what she said. Scotty, don't waste your life being a pastor. Thanks, grandma. Really appreciate that vote of confidence. In other words, you know what she was telling me? Shut up and sit down. That's what she told me. I'm so glad I didn't shut up and sit down because I serve a living Savior. But if God isn't alive, my Savior's not risen, I need a new job. So as of today, I'm resigning and I'm going to get a real job. I just need to do something. So I need somebody to hire me. I can drive real fast. So delivery service thing, you got something for me, freaky fast Jimmy John's, I don't know. I like running, hire me at a running store, tennis, I've taught tennis, any openings are a tennis teaching pro, hey, I'm all over it, okay. No, no resurrection means no more preaching for me. I'm not going to waste my time. And not only is my preaching in vain, by the way, your witnessing is in vain. So don't bother ever telling anybody about Jesus. I mean, the Great Commission is a great crock, it's just a great waste of time is really what it is. And, and Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Turn up, live it up, get wild crazy, live selfishly, indulgently as possible. Do whatever you want with your life if there's no resurrection. But if the resurrection is real, don't you dare shut up. And don't you dare sit down. It is never a waste to share the gospel. But some of you here this morning as believers in Jesus Christ act more like Jesus is dead than alive because you never tell anybody about Jesus. Isn't it about time, Christian? You stop acting like Jesus is dead and you start living like Jesus is alive and start telling people about the Savior. There is no resurrection. There never was a resurrection. If there is no resurrection, shut up and sit down. If there is no resurrection, faith is for fools. Look at verse 14 and then look at verse 17. Verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, your faith also is vain. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Vain meaning empty, no value, no benefit. Worthless meaning insignificant, meaningless, useless. Now, most of you here have a junk drawer at home. I have a junk drawer. I've lived in my house about 12 years. I finally decided to empty the thing. Whoa, you can't believe the stuff you find in there. I, I, I emptied this thing. I opened it up. You know what? I found corroded AA batteries in there. That's what I found. I found old super glue things, all squished and empty and pretty much solid inside. Uh, you know, cracked old rubber bands, no elasticity whatsoever. Old keys that go to nothing. Zero. I got one word for your faith. If Jesus hasn't risen, worthless. It's worthless. Your faith without the resurrection is a worthless corroded battery charging and changing nothing. It's a worthless superglue or, or rubber band holding nothing together. That's what your faith is without the resurrection. It's worthless old keys that open the door to nothing. That's what our faith is without the resurrection. 
It is worthless. It is a waste. Now, practically speaking, let's kind of put it in play for where we are as Christians without the resurrection. Prayer is worthless. Don't, don't pray. It changes no one without the resurrection. It changes nothing because no one is listening to you. The Lord has never heard your prayers. The Lord will never hear your prayers. There's no intercessory ministry without a living Savior. Romans 8.34, Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather he who is raised as at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. A dead Savior isn't at God's right hand. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. A dead Savior isn't interceding for anybody, so don't you pray. Prayer doesn't work. Prayer is a waste of time without Jesus being alive. Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time. There's no sympathy from the Lord if he's dead. There's no grace. There's no mercy. And so don't come with confidence. As a matter of fact, don't come at all if there's no resurrection. Without the resurrection, Jesus is not seated at the right hand of God. Jesus does not know what you faced. Jesus is dead. So I have a question for you. Who are you talking to if Jesus is dead? You know what you got? You got an imaginary friend. That's what you have. Studies show that 65% of all children, preschool to age seven, have make-believe friends at some point in their life. You know what? You got some psychological problem, Christian. If Jesus is not alive. You got an imaginary friend who is dead in a grave and you talk to him every day. Not only is prayer worthless if Jesus isn't alive, your Bible is worthless. It's fiction, not fact. I mean, literally, it's a source of fanciful entertainment up there with the Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and the Hobbit and whatever else. It's filled with lies if the resurrection never happened because Jesus is still in the grave and all of his promises are empty. So throw your Bible out, stick it on a shelf, never read it. By the way, there's quite a few Christians out there that hardly ever read their Bibles. Must not believe in a resurrected Savior. Because someone who really believes in a living God can't get enough of the Word of God. Prayer is worthless. The Bible's worthless. Worship is worthless. You've been singing to the ceiling if Jesus is still dead. You might as well worship a rock or worship this lily. How you doing today? I mean, seriously, if Jesus is dead, uh, and the songs that we sang earlier, hear the bells ringing there, singing Christ is risen from the... There are no bells, people. Christ the Lord is risen today. Ah, what are you smoking? Okay, seriously I mean because he lives I can face tomorrow no you can't because he lives every fear is gone you should be scared spitless I know he holds my life my future's in his hands you're on your own good luck if there's no resurrection prayer is worthless your bible's worthless worship is worship worthless giving is worthless we had a special offering last week did we pull one over on you and every Sunday We trick you every week into giving to a dead deity. Don't waste your money if Jesus is still in the grave. Don't you dare tithe. Don't you dare give your offerings. Don't you give a cent. Interesting. 
how some of our giving reflects that the Lord must not be living. Service is worthless. Don't waste your time and effort and energy teaching or serving in the nursery or greeting or ushering or serving in the cafe or hosting a life group. There's no sense to it if Jesus is dead. Faith and trust is worthless. As a matter of fact, April 1st should officially be the national Christian holiday because we're a bunch of gullible fools. It should be the Christian holiday. We might as well trust in a fairy godmother. Took my daughters and some of their friends to see Cinderella in a theater. The new one's really good, by the way. Here's the picture of the original cartoon version of the fairy godmother. You might as well trust in that woman with the wand saying, bibbidi bobbidi boo that's who you should be trusting in. If Jesus is dead, trust in a fairy godmother. But beware of the clock when it strikes the midnight of death. Because it won't be a carriage that crashes, it will be your life with no hope of life eternal. But praise God, your Savior lives. Praise God, your Savior lives. And your prayers are heard, and your Bible is true and reliable, and your worship ascends to the throne of God, and your service and giving count for eternity, and your faith is never misplaced. Praise God, you have a risen Savior there is no resurrection there never was a resurrection shut up and sit down faith is for fools if there is no resurrection paul tells us to stop lying and stop leading others astray look at verse 15 moreover we are even found to be false witnesses of god because we testified against god that he raised christ whom he didn't raise if in fact the dead are not raised he said every single church is full of liars if jesus is not alive We tell lies, we sing lies, we share lies, we are false witnesses of the fact if Jesus is not alive, and we fill people with a false hope if Jesus is not alive, and we lead others astray, contradicting God and testifying against God. And by the way, we believe the greatest liar of all. There's no resurrection. Satan is not the father of lies. Jesus is. Understand that. He lied about himself, Mark 8, 31. Began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things, be killed after three days, what? Rise again. That was a lie if he didn't. Mark 9, 31, he was teaching his disciples, telling them the Son of Man is to be delivered in the hands of men. They'll kill him, and when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. Another lie if the resurrection is not real. And Mark 10, 32 and 3. Or four, again, he took the 12 aside, began to tell them what was going to happen to him. In verse 34, mock him, spit on him, scourge him, kill him. Three days later, what? Rise again. That's another lie. Tragically, he lied about us if he's, if, if he's not alive. John six forty four. no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws me, and I will raise him up on the last day. That was a lie if there's no resurrection. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That was a lie. If Jesus is not alive. Friends, I want you to understand, praise God, the resurrection is true. That we're not liars, but that we tell the most incredible life-changing truth and that God was not a liar. And that his truth sets people free. I want you to understand there is a risen Savior and he loves you. And if you're here this morning and you've never come to faith in Jesus, at the end of the service, I will lead in a prayer. 
And I would encourage you to call upon this God who truly loves you and truly lives. He died on the cross for you for your sins because he loves you. And he will forgive your every sin that you have ever committed. He knows them all and he still loves you and he still loves me. Put your faith in him. Let him save you. Let him change you. But if there is no resurrection, there never was a resurrection. So shut up and sit down and faith is for fools and stop lying and leading others astray. And if there is no resurrection, salvation is a complete sham. Look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. So the power of sin, if Jesus is not alive, was never eternally broken. I'm still in my sins. You know what that means? I've never been forgiven. You've never been forgiven. I've I've never been pardoned. We've never been pardoned. We await judgment. Our, Our names were never written in the Lamb's book of life if there is no resurrection. I want you to understand this and don't miss this. This is so important. The resurrection is God's receipt for payment of sin. The resurrection is God's receipt for payment of sin accepted. That's what the resurrection is. It's the receipt. If Jesus wasn't raised, God didn't accept his sacrifice. If Jesus wasn't raised, Jesus wasn't worthy substitute for payment for sin. If Jesus wasn't raised, Jesus wasn't sinless. And we're in big trouble. Romans 4.25 He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, our sin, and was raised because of our justification. The resurrection is proof of forgiveness. The resurrection is our salvific justification. The resurrection is is our declaration of righteousness before a holy God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. We have been declared righteous because all of our sin was transported over to the sinless Son of God. And the resurrection is the receipt there's no resurrection. The power of sin was never eternally broken. And not only that, the power of sin was never practically broken. Means we're not free from sin. Means we never went free. We sung earlier, glory, glory, hallelujah, you threw my shackles in the sea. Glory, glory, hallelujah, Jesus is my liberty. Nope, you're still locked up. We sang, we sang, someday I'll fly away on your amazing grace. Your love is my jailbreak. I'm going free. You're going nowhere. You're still a jailbird. Without the resurrection, you are not free. But life in Jesus assures us we are free. Romans six eighteen and 22. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has what? Set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no resurrection though. Salvation is a sham. If there is no resurrection, there is no hope of heaven. This is how important the doctrine of the risen Lord is. Look at verse 18 then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Fallen asleep in Christ. This doesn't mean you dozed off in church. Just want to make sure you understand that. Well, what does it mean? 
means believers who have died, Christians who've passed away, saints who've gone home to glory. If there is no resurrection, people have perished. They've perished physically. Death and decay is the end. If there's no resurrection, that's it. And they've perished eternally. No resurrection means no future. If there's no resurrection, there is no heaven. There are no mansions in glory. There's no Beulah land, no promised land, no streets of gold, no eternal state. If there is no resurrection, there is no heaven. But the resurrection is real, and we have hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who've died, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. This world is filled with people with no hope because they don't have Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. But the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will what? They will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so we shall always be with the Lord. Say it with me. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We have hope. Not only that, we will be changed. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Boy, is that going to be a day when we put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on this imper- the imperishable and the mortal will have put on Im- immortality and will come about, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection is victory. It's victory. I want you to understand we have hope, we will be changed, and we will see God. Job 19, 25 and 6. As for me, say it with me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. You will see God, child of God. You will see your Savior in a resurrected body. Understand that. One last thing. If there is no resurrection, Christians are pitiful and pathetic. Verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, if you put all your eggs in the resurrection basket and there is no resurrection, the yoke's on you. Think about it. You put all your eggs in the resurrection basket and there's no resurrection, you're in trouble. There's no resurrection, we're pitiful fools. If we're no resurrection, we're pathetic fools. That's what he says. Of all men most to be pitied. So no one is more pathetic than Christians if there's no resurrection. Ah, but no one is more blessed than Christians if there is one. There is no one on this earth more blessed and privileged than a child of God because of the resurrection. Praise God our Savior lives.
John eleven twenty five. he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You will never die eternally, child of God. John 14, 19. Read this with me. After a little while, after a little while, while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. If there is no resurrection, there never was a resurrection. If there is no resurrection, shut up and sit down. Faith is for fools. Stop lying and leading others astray. Salvation is a sham. There's no hope of heaven, and Christians are pitiful and pathetic. But praise God, there is a resurrection. Praise God, we serve a risen Savior. He is risen. And risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your Son and the gift of our salvation through him, not only on the cross, but declared righteous, justified, that receipt of the empty tomb, the resurrection. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You who are believers in Jesus Christ, just take a moment right now and worship your God. Worship your God. Stop living like he's dead. Start talking to other people. Start reading your Bible. Start serving like he's alive. This life is so short. Start praising God for that tent that's coming down, but a glorified body that will one day be yours. Give him praise. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I mentioned earlier in the service that I would lead in a prayer of salvation. Some of you here this morning have never come to faith in Jesus. You've been a religious person. You go to church from time to time. And now God has opened your eyes that there is so much more to faith. And you know that you're a sinner. You know that there are things in your life that you are horribly ashamed of. And you don't want anybody to know about them. I got news for you. God already knows about them and you're going to be held accountable for your sin. But he invites you to come. He invites you to gaze upon the cross and the empty tomb and realize that he died for you to save you. That he rose for you to save you. And you may say, Scott, that's what I want. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I need God in my life. What do I do? With your head bowed, your eyes closed, and in the quietness of your heart, just call out to the Lord right now in faith. Use words like these. Lord Jesus, I desperately need you. Please save me from all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the grave for me. Lord, I put my faith in you to save me. I cannot save myself. I could never be good enough. 
So please forgive me of all my sin. And I ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've called out to the Lord this morning and you've made a decision for him, we rejoice in that decision. And we encourage you to let a good Christian friend or family member know that you've trusted in the Lord.